Welcome to the Good Dog Pod. Every Wednesday, we discuss all things dogs, from health and veterinary care to training and behavior science. Follow us and join Good Dog's mission to build a better world for our dogs and the people who love them. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of the Good Dog Pod. I am always super happy to chat with today's guest. You may know Dr. Marty Becker as America's veterinarian. He's written over 20 books, and he currently lives and practices as a vet in Idaho. Of the many things I admire about Marty, one of my favorite things about him is that he founded the Fear Free Movement, which hopefully you are all very familiar with. Fear Free works to prevent and alleviate fear, anxiety, and stress in pets in veterinary clinics, shelters, homes, and beyond. I also appreciate that Marty has the biggest heart of, I think, anyone I know, and it's made of solid gold. Mm -hmm. And... He's got a wicked sense of humor. So always fun to talk to you, Marty. Today, Dr. Becker is joining us to talk about his recent trip to the Ukrainian border to provide care for the pets of people fleeing the Russian attacks throughout Ukraine. Dr. Becker, thank you so much for being here on the Good Dog Pod today. Hey, I got to give you a compliment. I'm tickled to be here. You know how to say veterinarian. So many people say veterinarian. It's so hard to say. It has six syllables. Oh, that's funny. It's kind of like February or I don't know. There's other words, right, that nobody can say. I had somebody early in my career that come rushing up after a talk I gave. (laughs) My inflated sense of self-worth, I thought, hey, he's coming up to congratulate me. (laughs) He goes, goes, you don't belong up in the front of the room unless you can pronounce veterinarian. And so when I coach people, you know, helping them when they're starting out or building a brand or doing something, I just say, say veteran, Arian, veteran, Arian. That's how it works. But uh, you did it perfect. Okay, good to know, because I wasn't even thinking about it. I'm proud of you. (laughs) Thanks. It's little things. Okay, well, let's get down to business because, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to bring you on, we've known each other a while and I follow you on social media. And at the end of March, I saw you announced that you were heading to the Ukrainian border to help and my mind was blown. So I'd love to hear about what spurred this decision and how you organized this trip. Like, how did you know where to go and what kind of help was needed? You know what's funny? So this is a true story. I've been married 45 years to the love of my life, Teresa. And just when you think you know almost everything about somebody, I'd throw a big curveball. So our granddaughter, (laughs) Reagan, age 12, was up to stay at our ranch. They went to town to go to lunch. And she comes back and I have tickets to go to Romania. (laughs) I don't think I can say on the podcast everything she said. (laughs) She was worried about me being safe. Sure. And she thought, maybe he's got mania. Instead of depressed, now he's in a manic phase. What had happened is, I think many of us saw in the news where somebody was trying to rescue dogs at a shelter and was killed. They were trying to get food and water and were killed. And a lady that had packed a dog 10 miles on her back, a German shepherd that was crippled to get it to safety in Poland. And cutie pie my little heart dog is sitting here next to me on the barco lounger uh no pun intended <laughs> he uh i pack him from the sofa to the sort of mattress every night about 20 feet you know <laughs> right and we always think would i risk my life if the house on fire would i rem- yeah i would if the canoe tips over in the rapids and he was struggling yes i would but you actually see it over there mm-hmm. you, you can say it but actually seeing it was something else So I looked online and there were very few plane tickets to Romania. And I decided to go in the Southern part instead of going into Poland. And so I scooped up these tickets and thought, okay, let me figure this out. I'm a below average veterinarian. And I mean that I'm not trying to say it to poke fun at myself, but 
if you're a veterinarian, let's say it's a complicated diagnostic that, you know, you can't quite tell from the ultrasound and the things where the spinal cord problems, that's not me. Mm-hmm. That older pet that has multimodal conditions, but I'm going to crack the code. No. Surgery, no. So technically, I wasn't going to go over there and do cruciate ligament surgeries or somebody's dog that nobody else would be able to figure out. But what I knew I could do is I think bigger picture. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking the Romanian Veterinary Medical Association, how are they handling this influx of all these thousands of pets coming? So I reached out to the head of the Moldovian VMA and found out, okay, this is the challenges they faced. Then he connected me with veterinarians on the border and where they were having to quarantine these pets because Ukraine's not a rabies-free country. Okay. So all these animals couldn't have to be quarantined. And then I connected to the veterinary schools because I knew the veterinary students and stuff were volunteering. Can I talk to them about Fear Free? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how it, this one thing led to another, led to another. And pretty soon I got 10 days booked. And, you know, Ukraine is in crisis mode. And we're helping with these pets and the people. Someday we'll rebuild it. But right now, what can we do in Romania, Moldova, Poland to help them? Their infrastructure is so far behind. I'll give you an example. In the country of Moldova, only one veterinary hospital has an x-ray machine. Wow. So imagine seeing fractures. Imagine seeing bloat. Imagine seeing pneumonia. You better be pretty good with a stethoscope. Mm-hmm. Okay. So... The needs are, it sounds like huge. I mean, even before the crisis. The one clinic that had an x-ray machine in Moldova, I went there for safety. You know, in the U.S., every vet clinic has a radiology machine, an x-ray machine mostly, and you have lead aprons and you have lead gloves and you have dosimeter badges that check your dosages. Their gloves they had were a pair of oven mitts. And when I went to the veterinary school, to lecture to them about Fear Free. And why was I bringing Fear Free in? They are seeing an extraordinary amount of dog bites, cat scratches, and injuries. So people over there, think of this. Cutie pie, all of a sudden, I'm taken out of my home. I'm gone. I'm in a subway. I'm in a train. I'm in a bus. I'm in a car. And then we get here with all these people that are stressed, probably the most stressed they've ever been in life, and these pets are stressed. And then they come across the border and all these good-hearted people come rushing towards them <laughs> and, you know, direct eye contact, fists out. What's his name? Can I pet it? How's it doing? And the pet is going to react with fear-based aggression. Sure. And you know this, my friend, all of those, they can, how, why are all these cats so calm over there? It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. You see the pictures of people carrying them, right? Yeah, and you're like, they think they're going to die. That's yeah, why yeah. they're frozen in fear, yeah. collapsing immobility. They're not just calm and somehow different than our cats. They literally think they're going to die. So it was one thing just to teach people at the border when these pets come to turn sideways, bend down, take mm-hmm. a knee. If you can, you can glance at the pet get them to come over to you. And if you have a little treat, you know, they're hungry, all the better. And finding out now, you know, a couple months later, six, eight weeks later, we have been able to drop the injuries at the border tremendously oh, that's great. just by simple animal handling techniques. Great. Wonderful. So yeah. What did you do while you were in Romania? Where did you stay? Like, what was your day-to-day like? Sounds like you were doing some, like talking to students. My wife was worried about me. I have a neurologic condition. So I was going to fly first class until I saw the ticket was $20,000. <laughs> yeah, and then I thought, I'm not <laughs> flying first class. So the jet lag didn't hit me too bad. I went to Bucharest okay. and that's where I met the head of the Romanian VMA. 
And he's also teaches at the veterinary school in Bucharest. There's four veterinary schools in Romania. And then I headed over to a border town, Galatz. And there, that was only about 10 miles from the border of Moldova, Ukraine, and Romania. So the Danube goes the southern part of Romania. So that's the border between Bulgaria and Romania. And then it goes up and empties into the Black Sea. The Danube is not blue. I, maybe I've been watching too many Viking cruise commercials, <laughs> but it was brown and it was mm. choppy and windy. But there's a place called Save a Safe Haven, S-A-V-A-S, Safe Haven. It was amazing. World Vets, who I'm a board member of, had worked with them in the past. So I met with them. And it's a non-governmental, non-profit, family-run shelter They have 300 dogs there. They knew every single dog by name. They must have put invisible corks in these dogs because there was no poop there. The two hours I was there, not one poop. You know how something's odor neutral too. Mm -hmm. It didn't smell and it wasn't fragrance. It was just very clean. They knew the medical history, had great records on them. So that's why I spent the first day because they were housing a lot of these pets that were quarantined. They were taking, as they were getting food, and medicines and collars and leases and cages and beds, they were taking them over to the border to be taken back into Ukraine. And so the next day we went over to the actual border. So there's very few bridges across the Danube. There's a new one being built, but from the mouth of the Danube and the Danube Delta, it's almost 50 miles before you get to a bridge. So they're mainly crossing by ferry into parts of Romania. And I've certainly, I've been involved with American Humane going to natural disasters before, but it's nothing like a disaster in a war zone. I will say that. I could hear artillery booming in the distance like you would hear thunder. And the people were so terrified. I think the world kind of learned from Hurricane Katrina that people would not leave their pets behind. And here we are in, you know, Romania's, Per capita income, $6,000. Moldova is $4,000. It's a second world country yearning to be a first world economy, but they were just terrified. And so the ferry comes across and the whole thing just comes alive. Like there's the Red Cross, there's World Vision, there's UNICEF. There are people I don't even know who they are, but everybody comes when the ferry comes across. And first person I saw was a man in a wheelchair being pushed off. He got off the ramp and when he actually touched Romanian soil, he started sobbing. And through an interpreter, I found out that his town was being bombed. His apartment was hit and he threw himself over his two elderly cats to protect them. So he took all this shrapnel in the back. Why was he crying? Because his cats were safe. Those cats were his family. And another lady came across with 10 Jack Russell Terriers. Wow. Now you got to think about this. (laughs) One Jack Russell Terrier is (laughs) unbelievable. Wait, let me paint this picture for you. Two Jack Russell Terriers on leashes in both hands. Six of them strapped on her like baby Bjorns. I mean, it was unbelievable. I had to like take my eyes like, am I actually seeing this? Wow. And she was pulling a wagon with a rope around her waist, a kid's wagon full of dog food and medication and even some toys for the dogs. She had been walking 10 days. She had not eaten. She was just drinking, but not eating. 
And listen to this. She had no shoes on. Oh my God. And her feet were frostbitten. And I was like, I'm making this kind of funny, but I was like John Dutton on Yellowstone. I had more layers on than Kevin Costner when he plays that thing. (laughs) I was freezing to death. And I'm a North Idaho boy. And she was worried she'd be judged. She was a breeder. Her grandfather was a breeder. Her father was a breeder. Her father and her mom, she was a breeder and was worried she would be judged because she got 10 dogs and she was met with love and help. And she went to the medical tent one way and the wired fox tears went the other way. And I guess I've watched enough Everest movies to know what, <laughs> what it looks like when you're probably going to lose toes. But by God, she made it. Wow, that's incredible. One question, had you ever been in this part of the world before? No, I've traveled the world, but Romania was the 90th country I've been to in Moldova. Wow. was 91. Okay, that's and impressive. So, listen to this van, Save a Safe Haven. It looked like a Sprinter van. So you just realized the size. It was white. It looked like a Sprinter van we typically see, but it was a French, it was a Renault version. It had a 50-gallon tank. Before I left, I decided I would gas it up for them. They didn't want me to, but I insisted. $527 to gas it up. Their gas is over $10 a gallon. Wow. And think of this, they're making $500 a month per capita. So she was working full-time as a veterinary technician making $500 a month with $10 a gallon gasoline. That's, I mean, we can't even really comprehend. (laughs) You can't. And you know, you think, how do they do it? They have gardens. They do a lot of canning. There's two or three families in a household, but your world's really small. She had only been to Bucharest is hour and a half drive away and only been there two or three times in her life. And she's 24 years old. You just don't realize, but to see them at the border giving themselves There were so many local people there that had made muffins and sandwiches. And it's not just the Red Cross there. There were so many individuals helping with these pets. And I have to tell you one thing that you'll get a kick out of. They started limiting it to five dogs per person. So I went back to the second day. And five dogs per person per day. Coming in or? Coming in. Okay. Because they were just getting too many dogs. They run out of room. And so five dogs per person per day. I saw a mid-sized car. Think you're going to the airport, you're going to Hawaii or Florida, and you need a mid-sized car. Inside that mid-sized car were five people with 25 dogs. <laughs> no. It was like a canine clown car. <laughs> and amazingly, though I didn't hear any aggression. I don't know why, but when the vehicles came up, they lined up and go through customs and immigration there. And there was people, all of a sudden the whole thing comes alive and there's water and there's chocolate and there's wet wipes and there's Tylenol and all sorts of things you could have. And then somebody came with a big plate of sandwiches and there were several people with plates of sandwiches, like one stopped here and then one went down the line a little bit. And as they approached with those sandwiches, the whole car shifted. The dogs all moved to that <laughs> side. You could actually see it move. And then this person was starting to reach out to get a sandwich and this dog shot out like one of those, I don't even know what it was like, something you see on Animal Planet or something. And it just grabbed about six sandwiches and went back back in there. But it was funny and it was probably needed at the time to just have something to laugh about in these serious situations. Sure, a little comic relief. I mean, it's a great picture. And, you know, I think for a lot of us, 
we're here in the United States. We feel very distant from what's happening. I mean, we're aware of it, but you know, what did you learn about the war in Ukraine and how it's affecting the citizens and the animals that were coming through the border? Like, what did you take away from what they're experiencing? Well, I tell you, I cried quite a bit. I always took my wife. I must be getting more estrogen. I know I'm losing hair, but I know, I don't know where I must be because like got to cry at movies and everything, but man alive to see people who had lost their husband. There's one family, husband had lost a hand and most of his arm in an agricultural. So he he was exempt from service, but Mm. they're fleeing and was killed. Somebody else was staying there fighting. They had a Doberman that had jumped as they were fleeing over a ditch and torn his cruciate ligament. That's <laughs> a ligament in that keeps the knee solid. And since they'd been staying in Moldova, the dog had got to sleep in the bed with <laughs> the wife and her husband, who, you know, before, uh-uh, no dog in the bed. <laughs> he agreed that when things come back, the dog gets to stay with him in bed. But I know the thing that's the most amazing was seeing people actually do the stuff that I say I would do myself. Mm-hmm. And then I think when I walk for 10 days and get frostbite, I don't think I would. I think I would stop somewhere and just said, <laughs> give up King's X, man. Somebody haul me across the thing. You know, <laughs> that would be hard. Yeah. And you realize we see a lot of pictures coming out of there and you see these people with their pets. So, you know, I wrote a book called the healing power of pets. And we really know that pets just don't make us feel good. They're actually good for us. And that's a big part of what's going to help these people handle this and be able to recover. And another case I saw there, these things just keep popping in my mind. They're so vivid. I can see it. A lady, late 30s, about my daughter, Mikkel's age, had a Doberman with a muzzle on, which is over there. It's not off-putting because a lot Mm -hmm. of times they put them on a muzzle. This dog was sweet, sweet dog. And then about a 12-year-old girl had a cat in a backpack with a little bubble in the back. And then a little girl about seven years old had a hamster cage. And that's the one you think of from being a kid or seeing on a pet store. Yeah. The pastel color, yellows, yep. reds, right? And waiting the other side of the border control was the husband, the dad. He had been working overseas. And so he wasn't going back into Ukraine and the family was finally getting out. They were waving at each other and you know, crying. And then all of a sudden they're through and they come together and he kissed his wife. And then the Doberman rose up and kind of knocked her out of the way. <laughs> and it gave him like not only a face wash, I saw a tonsil swab. <laughs> I saw a tongue. <laughs> And then his dad was there. So the grandpa was there. We all kind of gave him a distance, you know, to reunion. And then the little girl held up this hamster cage up in the air. And, you know, she's so <laughs> small. And then her dad got down on his knee and was looking in the hamster cage. And I found out later the hamster's name was Gracie. Oh. And she told me it was her best friend. And I'm thinking, God, that is amazing. You know, that's their touchstone to home and that connection back home really touching, Mm -hmm. really touching. Yeah. You recently mentioned observing compassion amidst the horror. And I know you've also talked about your own struggles with depression and mental health. And if you don't mind speaking about it, I mean, I'd like to hear about kind of how you dealt with processing what you experienced, because I know some friends of mine did rescue during Hurricane Katrina. And when they came back, I mean, I can only describe it as PTSD, like it was really intense. So like, how are you kind of keeping yourself mentally healthy through all of this? That's what Teresa was worried about. So we have manic depression in our family. We've got four suicides on my side of the family. Mm. 
two suicides on Teresa's sides of the family and everybody's on a medication, which is good. Sure. You know, if we had a history of diabetes, we'd probably all be on insulin. Yep. And if we had hypothyroidism, we'd be on thyroid. Or if we had epilepsy, we'd analog. It's just what it is. Yeah. I'd been in a pretty dark depression for about 18 months. And I finally decided to go through therapy. And this was late last year in December and January. I got to meet a bunch of Marty Beckers and man, they're strange. You know, <laughs> I go back and visit all these Marty Beckers in my lifetime. And there's some you just kind of keep bottled up. This young guy was just fresh out of school, a psychologist. And he didn't have a lot of experience. Like, you know, I don't know how many cats you've seen in your life. You've seen thousands of cats. Thousands, right? yeah. He had the education, the training, but no experience. But what sure. he did know was pharmacology. So after, you know, four times, he was willing to try something. And he just made a tiny little addition to the treatment regimen. And he said, it's going to take about three weeks typically. And, you know, don't expect it immediately. It might Mm -hmm. take six weeks. And I went to Hawaii with my wife and honest to gosh, in three weeks, it was like turning a light switch on. I had been depressed and in the dark for 18 months. I went to bed sad and woke up happy and I've been happy ever since. That's wonderful. So I'm real open about my own mental health issues. And I think going through therapy was just another thing. I could see how valuable that is Mm -hmm. to help me understand some things that happened in my life. I've kind of been like, yeah, there's no problem. I'll just wall that off like you would an abscess or a scab. That's it. (laughs) So going over there, I think that's part of what Teresa was worried about too. They've had two interventions in my lifetime, which is interesting. One, I thought we were having an intervention for my wife, Teresa, to get her knee fixed because she kept putting it off. I didn't realize they're going to have one with me. So we had a two for the kids, <laughs> got two for one and one visit. So she did get her knee fixed, did get knee replacement. And mine was to quit working so hard on Fear Freak because they thought it was going to kill me. Oh, no. The other one was about helping too many people that mm-hmm. I put myself at risk by always trying to help people. I did slow down from Fear Free, but I love helping people. It energizes me. I've gotten more than I've ever given. And this was certainly the case there. I did see the trauma in people. Like I personally never seen anybody come from being wounded in war. Mm -hmm. So to see a guy that shot up with shrapnel and hearing the story from the lady who they were running for their life Mm -hmm. and the guy with Miss Nahan was killed and they had to flee, it just... It's something I'll never forget, but it makes me want to help more. Yeah. It makes you want to help. Like, you know, most people can't go over there. And if you did, a lot of times like this, it's probably better to go back later mm-hmm. and help something when things are kind of dwindled and there's other needs. But there's some really good organizations people could support that have vetted things. Like I know when we give to the Red Cross or my wife and I give to World Vision, I know where that money's going. Right. And there's worldvets.org is one. Okay. It's like Doctors Without Borders. Mm-hmm. Okay. Worldbets.org is a really good one. And there's another one if you want to give directly to something that I can vet for. And World Vets has worked with them for over a decade. And then I got to meet these people. I think it's Save a Safe Haven. I think it's S A V A S Safe Haven. Okay. Save a Safe Haven or Save a Safe Haven.com. They have a PayPal account set up. 
Okay, that's good to know. We'll double check and make sure that we have the correct link for our listeners. But yeah, it looks like saveussafehaven.com. Yeah, really amazing people. They knew every one of 300 dogs by name. I just could not believe it. And the way these dogs came to them, I mean, it's like, you know that book with Bones Would Rain from the Sky? Susan Clothier, I think. Mm. Oh, yeah, she's great. Yeah. So I got out there and they had these dog biscuits made and these dogs were all around me. I felt like I was inside of a ball of fish that the killer whales had schooled together, you know? <laughs> and, I, and I had all these things. I thought, this is the perfect opportunity. So I just started throwing dog bones up in the air, you know? <laughs> and then it was like, oh, this is an incredible frenzy of dogs coming there to get a dog bone. And I only saw one case of aggression. And that was a newer dog that had come in and had some resource guarding. I'm thinking, where is this play? <laughs> I mean, there's all these play groups and all these dogs together, but no aggression, no poop, all good hair coats. Everybody was vaccinated, had parasite control. Right. And these people have nothing. So their van broke down because they're hauling way too much food over to go over to Ukraine, too many supplies. And so we're trying to help them get $15,000 to get a used van. Okay. So it sounds like, I mean, this leads into my next question, which is really like, what can those of us at home do to help? And I think a lot of us feel helpless. We want to do something. So it sounds like worldvets.org and then the saveussafehaven.com are two good organizations. Like money's probably the most useful thing right now. Let them decide how to spend it. You know, what's funny? I've seen over the years, a lot of times money helps because they can buy what they need locally. It helps the economy. It's exactly the same here. A lot of the U.S. drug companies, you know, when they're short of vaccine, why can't Zoetis or Merck or Mariel or somebody, Elanco, send the stuff? You can't get it into the country because of the restrictions. So what's best to do, a lot of these companies have European branches, but if they can buy the stuff locally, then it's right to them. And so that particular shelter, they were seeing so many pets coming in from Ukraine, they all had parasite loads. Fleas, ticks, roundworms, hookworms, lungworms, whatever the worms you could think of. And they need to buy parasite control products. And so Best Bought there. And these people also, they had a whole storage container full of stuff for kids. So they had diapers and wet wipes and formula and things like that. So just every two days, they were headed to the border with a load. Just unbelievable. And they're exhausted but exhilarated by helping. Mm-hmm. And that way, I know that through World Vets, World Vets also has a veterinary clinic in Moldova. Okay. The one I spoke of that had the oven mitts for yeah. <laughs> safety. Every pet that comes from Ukraine to that clinic in Moldova, the veterinary care is all free. Wow. Okay. So anything we can do to support these yes. orgs? Yeah. Okay. And like you said, I mean, it seems like this is not ending right away. So probably the needs might shift. Yeah, it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. If you look at what the predictions are, the Russians and this war, this horrible war, are trying to go right across all part of southern Ukraine and cut their access off to the Black Sea. And if that, they want to get to the Moldova, there's that Transnistria, that little breakaway part of Moldova where Russia has troops there and they want to connect those two together. But what's happening now is they're in the last few days been doing a lot of artillery and cruise missile attacks and bombing in Odessa. That's where a lot of these pets have been coming to Ukraine, to Odessa, then back across the border. So I just talked to them yesterday. They're just seeing floods of people coming. Whereas people back in Kiev and stuff, 
I can't pronounce some of those other cities, but some <laughs> of those are feeling comfortable enough to go back. It's mm-hmm. the opposite down in southern Ukraine. Okay. And I know you're starting to plan your next trip, right? Yep. I'm talking okay. to the World Small Animal Veterinary Association and World Vets on when we can go back. And maybe this time I took four suitcases full of dog toys, which was interesting. I've never traveled so commando <laughs> on something in my life. I had literally one pair of pants, <laughs> which I never washed. And when I came home, Cutie Pie was A, screaming excited to see me. B, he thought that I would be on the canine version of Dateline cheating on him or something. <laughs> like, I had so many dog smells on my pants. I don't think he's ever witnessed anything like that in his At life. least he didn't see the dog biscuit tossing where you, were, I know. you know, like that might have, you know, just destroyed him. So. You are exactly right. I think that would have destroyed him because he wouldn't have understood that. But I did see a dog over there. When I go back, I'm going to bring back. Her name was Phyllis. I named her Phyllis. She had just come from Ukraine. She was a really wiry hair. And I met Phyllis Diller one time. I took her her wig one time. It was a crazy story. <laughs> okay. It's a crazy story. How did Marty Becker end up taking Phyllis Diller's wig to her? <laughs> but for our generation, no, she had this crazy hair and spike and, you know, I talk about her husband and wow. this little dog. It had the typical long teats you see when you travel the world and you see mm-hmm. a street dog that has had litter after litter, after mm-hmm. litter. She had real long elongated teats, about a 20 pound dog. She was pregnant again. Mm-hmm. And so she was pretty starved because she's feeding these puppies inside of her. She was kissing me and I was kissing her and she was just getting ready to be groomed. And I promised Teresa before I left, she made me promise, don't get, I know, I know I won't. <laughs> I won't. I promise. Well, hell, it's going to come home when I go back. I'll tell okay. you that much. Yeah. So, I mean, you talked a lot about owned animals coming through with their humans. Are there a fair amount of strays coming through as well? Or Yeah. They had 200 dogs there for adoption and a hundred that were owned. So people would come across the border and they're going to go stay with somebody in mm-hmm. London, but they have to have their pets there or somebody that came and found home, but they've got five dogs and they could only board two of them there. Okay. So yeah. They take care of the pets, but it's really funny, you know, in the U.S., you know, there's a shortage of really adoptable dogs in mm-hmm. most shelters. And the ones a lot of people tend to want are those small to medium dogs and fuzzy yeah. and cute. Those dogs over there, I didn't see one dog that I would have identified as being purebred in those 300 dogs. And if those 200 dogs were in a shelter here, they'd be gone in a week. They mm-hmm. were cute, well-socialized. Mm-hmm. And there's some groups working in Norway and Germany, other places like us and England, where they're actually short of pets to adopt. So I know in the past, we've had the Underhound Railroad, people have called it (laughs) pets from the south to the north. Yeah, They have somewhat of an equivalent there that's being activated. Good. Well, you know, I think the big thread in this whole thing for me has been that the human animal bond transcends politics, right? It transcends country borders and all the other ways we choose to separate ourselves from other people. And so do you have positive feelings about how we can use this to fix all these problems? (laughs) Like, Can the human-animal bond bring us together? You know, the one thing, I live in extreme North Idaho, and it is extremely conservative up here. And so there's a lot of, I I guess I have more of a worldview of things up here through my experiences and maybe just the way I was brought up and things. But We might not agree about politics and we might not agree about religion, but that bond that people have with their pets, there's no jealousy. Mm -hmm. 
My mother graduated from college at 16 years old. There's a genius thread that runs through some of our family. Anyway, <laughs> my sister was number one in her class at Yale. That'll give you a good idea. And my yes. brother's kids were like perfect ACT scores, full ride scholarship to Columbia. So my brother talks about his kids. It's always like, you know, I feel a little jealous, you know, it's like, you know, your kids and stuff. But when he talks about his dog, Buddy, it's nothing as far as jealousy, you know? And so you go over there and I can't speak Ukrainian or Russian or Romanian, but I tell you the universal language, when I can get that dog's tail wagging and that dog is giving me a kiss or taking a treat, or I could get that cat out of frozen fear, then that's universal. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just like, if you had a human baby with it giggling, I love the way little kids laugh and stuff like that. Yeah. That's how I connected with them was through their pets. And there's a picture I have of a border patrol agent there that handled that whole border area. He was a senior guy. And I don't want to make it sound like it was a decrepit building with a light bulb, but it was modular buildings with us in an office, myself, a veterinarian with just him. And he scared the crap out of me. I've been all over. I've been in 91 countries, but I've never been in this thing with one guy in a room asking these really tough questions. You know, are you here to get money from these people and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh boy. And then all of a sudden the veterinarian says, do you have a dog? And the guy says, oh yeah. <laughs> and it was, he told icebreaker. a German short hair. He gets his phone. He's going through these pictures and he's smiling <laughs> while he's going through the pictures. And then he gets his picture and he shows me his dog. And honest to God, he is grinning like Shawaiti could eat a banana sideways. Then he shows me a picture of his SUV with the dog on the spare tire <laughs> cover in the back. <laughs> then we go outside and he's back to, you know, the same grim demeanor, you know, as we're taking a picture. But at part, you know, there's only one greatest pet in the world and everybody has him or her. That's so what true. I would say is my parting thought. Okay. So then if you can just bring Putin and Zelensky together to talk about their pets. <laughs> I can't imagine Putin with a dog. Yeah, I don't know. I, don't I just so. can't. Yeah. But you see where they just had a little Jack Russell Terrier that was a bomb sniffing dog that was celebrated over there in Ukraine. And oh my God, think of dogs at 4th of July. Mm-hmm. And think mm-hmm. of dogs with thunderstorms and then think yeah. of noise phobias over there. Yeah. And so the zoo hard. animals too. It's very disgusting. Oh, it's just terrible. Yeah. yeah so we're not going to go into Ukraine, none of us, yeah. probably, but okay. we are going to make sure we can do something to help. Whatever we're going to give is going to help over there. That's for sure. Absolutely. Thank you so much for doing this work. It's amazing. Well, I'm going to go back and this next time, Teresa is going to go back. And when we come back, Phyllis is going to come with us. Nice. So she'll have quite a story to tell. Yeah, we expect a full report. Well, Marty, thank you so much for telling us about your experience. It's very moving. I'm just blown away by what you do. And if you're not familiar with Dr. Becker's work, please go to fearfreepets.com and learn all about his life project, which has changed so many human and animal lives. Thank you for being here. And I'm sure we'll talk again soon. It's an honor. Thank you. You have been listening to the Good Dog Pod. We hope you'll join us next week when we'll be talking about finding breeding stock and starting your breeding program with Shawnee Leyland.